Good morning. Man, it's great to see you guys this morning. It is a privilege to be here, and so let me just first and foremost uh, thank you guys uh, for having me. Uh, Pastor Troy, thank you for the opportunity to come and, and preach uh, in this pulpit. Uh, I know many great men of God have stood here. Uh, you guys have an amazing church. I don't want to keep telling you that, though, because you'll start believing it. And so uh, I'm just going to say, man, your church uh, is amazing, and uh, the ministry of this church has, has reached well beyond New Philadelphia in so many different ways. And uh, I'm thankful for the leadership here, both, both past and present, and uh, the men that God has used in this place for many, many years. And so, man, it's a great opportunity for me to be here. I'm very humbled. I know who I am, and I'm not much. Uh, let me just share a little bit of testimony uh, so you know the guy that's going to be talking to you the next couple of days. I'm originally from L.A., and for those of you not maybe educated, that's not West Coast. That's Lower Alabama. I am from... <laughs> I am from Lower Alabama. I grew up in Southeast Alabama. Um, my, my family, were, we lived in a very rural part of Alabama. And uh, 1993, my dad uh, served in the military and his job uh, caused him to transfer to North Alabama right outside of Huntsville, a little small town called Falkville, Alabama. And so I finished up my junior and senior year of high school in, a, in another small rural uh, Alabama school, went to college, and uh, it was during those years in college, actually it was a connection that I made in high school, uh, playing sports, playing basketball, that years later God would use to get the gospel to me. And uh, in college, man, I wanted to be an engineer. I was kind of majoring in engineering, taking all the math and sciences and all those different things. And I had no clue about really what I was going to do with my life other than, hey, all the standardized tests say that you would be a good engineer, so you should go be an engineer. Truthfully, I didn't even know what an engineer did. And so if there's any engineers in the room later, you can tell me actually what you do, because I really, I still haven't figured it out. And so uh, that's what I was going toward. I know I just offended all the engineers now. It's okay. The rest of you will get shortly. So uh, I'm majoring in engineering, and, uh, and I hit, I hit a, a weird spot in college. I'm like, man, I'm not sure if I want to do this. And so I began to waver a little bit in my education. I just started taking random classes, and, uh, and then I turned 21. And it was like, okay, you got to figure this thing out, right? Like, you can't just keep taking classes perpetually. Uh, my dad, again, a military man, was kind of like, son, figure it out. Like, you know, figure it out or get out. I mean, that's kind of your options. And so, uh, and so, man, it was during that, that time in my life in college where that connection from high school, uh, he was a good friend, a guy I played sports with, had gotten his life right with Christ and, and became very intentional about restoring relationships that he had kind of had a negative influence on. And I'll never forget the conversation, man. I'm, I'm at my house, at my mom and dad's house, in the garage. The phone rings. This is back in the day where we actually had phones with cords that were attached to the wall. And so we had a phone in the garage, and the phone rings, and it's my best friend, right, from high school, and we still played sports together in college. And, and he began to, to share with me how God had got a hold of his heart, how he had been backslidden on the Lord for many, many years, and how he had gotten his, right, his life right, he had repented, he... he recommitted his life back to Christ, and he called me to apologize for being a bad example and a poor testimony of a Christian. He'd been a, a saved man, or a saved young, young man since the eighth grade. We had went to high school together for a year and a half. We, we went to different colleges, but we saw each other on a regular basis, and uh, never was the conversation of the gospel or God ever brought up. And uh, morally right guy, but when we got into college, you know, people lived the college life. And man, God got a hold of him, and, and, and that phone call 
was the thing that God began to use in my life to crack my heart, my hard, wicked heart, to be open to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that, that friend began to pursue me now for the opportunity to share the gospel. And, and he knew I liked a few things. He, he knew I liked fishing, and so he would invite me fishing, and he knew I liked, you know, girls. And so, you know, he would, he would go, yeah, I know, right? Like a very narrow-focused mind right here. <laughs> it's just, add Toyotas to the mix, and you've got it all figured out. That's really, okay, that's all I am. And so he's involved in church. He invites me to go fishing. We have a horrible day in July fishing, one of the worst days ever. And I, I usually don't go fishing. I usually go catching. And so that day I was really upset because we didn't catch anything. And so that night he said, hey, um, we have a thing at our church. Uh, some young adults are going to go out to eat. Uh, you should come. It's our, our college ministry, you know. And I just turned 21 years old. And so I was like, the first question was, are there going to be girls there? And he was like, oh, yeah. For, for sure, you know. Okay. And so I'm an idiot, and I'm like, okay, I'll go. And so I, I go to church, uh, I go to this event, and, uh, you know, there was like maybe eight people there, you know, counting me and him. So it was a very small group of people. Uh, it was like the, the precursor of the college ministry at Decatur Baptist many years ago. And uh, so whatever, it was, it was awkward. Um, you know, I'm a lost guy with no clue, man. Didn't grow up in church, didn't grow, grow up around the Bible, and so I'm just around these Christian people talking language I don't understand, you know, and they seem a lot happier than I am. And so it was just weird, whatever. So that night, we, we finished the, the meal, we do an activity, we're driving home, and, and I, back then I had a Mustang convertible. It was a 91 uh, Mustang 5.0 convertible, LX, just for the record, any car guys in the room. And so he said, hey man, why don't you let me drive your car uh, back to my house? And I was like, yeah, that's cool. And so... The problem is when you give up your keys, the guy driving also controls the radio. And so my friend turned off the radio, right? We're going down the road, 10 minutes down the road. He turns off the radio and he begins asking me questions like, hey, man, man, seriously, let me, let me ask you a couple of questions. And I'm like, okay, sure. First question out of the bat, man, have you ever thought about like what happens after you die? Like where, where are you going to, have you ever thought about where you're going to spend eternity? And I was like, whoa, that's... That's a big question. And, and so I began to, in my mind, reason and rationalize how I would answer that. And, and this is my friend. And so I trust him enough to, to be honest with him. And so I began to say, well, man, I, I believe there's a God. I believe heaven and hell is real. But man, I got no clue. Like if you were to ask me if I'd, I died today, where I would spend eternity and why, truthfully, I have no answer. And, uh, and, and of course, we're still going down the road toward his house. It's 11 o'clock at night. And man, he just begins to, to share his testimony of his personal salvation experience. We get back to his mom and dad's house. He asks the question, can I take my Bible and show you from, from God's word how you can know that you can be saved from your sin? And I said, yes. And man, we, we go into his house. It's 1130 at night, July 11th, 1997. And man, he walks me through Romans Road. He walks me through the reality of my sin and what Christ died for on the cross of Calvary and what his finished work could do in my life. And, uh, and man, July 11th, 1997, I received Christ as my Lord and Savior. And God radically saved me and transformed everything about me. And, and if you, praise the Lord, yeah. And, and, and I, I share that with you because, man, that's been a few years, and I still haven't got over that. Truthfully, man, I still haven't got over that. I was, 
I was lost, but now I'm found, and I'm thankful. And so, and so man, he was like, okay, now that you're saved, uh, you need to come to church with me. And I was like, okay, where are we going? You know? and, and so he's like, I go to Decatur Baptist Church, meet me here on Sunday morning at this time. And so I show up at Decatur Baptist Church for the very first time on a Sunday morning, and I walk in, and it's like this room. It's huge. <laughs> And there are hundreds of people in it. And, and at the end of the service, you know, he didn't tell me this before service, but he was like, hey, man, uh, you got saved a couple days ago. Let's just go down front and just kind of like tell everybody that you got saved. <laughs> okay. Again, I trusted my friend, man. He led me to Christ. I had a, I had a trust in him that he kind of knew what he was doing. So at the end of the service, you know, we, we walk down and I fill out the card and, and put my date of salvation, all those different things. And I'll never remember, I'll never forget this. This is, I'll, I'll get to the sermon in a minute, man. But it's just, I'm a really awkward guy. You're going to figure that out real quick. So, you know, at our church, man, we, we would announce at the end of service anybody that got saved. And they would just stand down front, and you know the whole church family would come and shake their hand right at the end of the service. I'm praying for you. I'm excited about what God did for your life. Okay, so, so I fill out the card. They call my name out. I didn't know I was supposed to stand. Man, I come up on the stage, you know, like, am I receiving a reward, an award? Like, is there a certificate? And uh, my pastor was actually out of town that week, and uh, so Rex Terry, Brother Jeff knows Rex, Rex Terry was preaching that morning, and you just have to know Rex. And so Rex, when I walked up, Rex was just like, let's go, get down here, you know, just, to, <laughs> just, just immediately walk me back down. Man, that church, God used that church in a mighty way. We had a ministry called Discipleship, I'm sure you're aware of it, and, and God used a man in my life to help me as an as a ignorant uninformed, brand new baby Christian at the age of 21, began to know God through a process of discipleship. Older man in our church that walked me through our, our course of discipleship, but really it was his life that I was able to latch on to and see what a real Christian looked like. Hear how he prayed, see how he read the Bible, see how he studied as he taught me who Christ is and how to walk with him. And, and then we had things like D2 or what you would call uh, ministry tools and training. And man, I just, I just went right through that process of discipleship one and D2 and then D3 and, and began discipling others and got involved in ministry. And just anywhere there was an opportunity, I just wanted to say yes. Like, like God, you put these people in this church in my life and man, my life is so much different now because of Christ and because of what you're doing. I just want to follow you. It was a few years later that God, we would have things like missions conferences, right? And, and we had missionaries like Jeff that were sent out of our church on the field already. And there were other missionaries that we supported. Man, these conferences, man, began to stir in my heart a desire to just be willing to go wherever God wanted me to go. And, and so I remember my first mission trip was, was 2001, and, and it was a mission trip to Belize, Central America. And, and man, that was the first time. And I'd, I'd been discipled and been through D2 and was leading a small group and all those different things, and now it was time to go see the field. And, man, I went on that trip, and God just wrecked my life yet again to see things and, and to, to hear things and experience things, and, but yet to see that the gospel was just as real in Belize, Central America as it was in Decatur, Alabama. Man, God just absolutely just, just burdened my heart that, that, man, I want to spend the rest of my life serving Him. And so I graduated college. I got a degree in physical therapy. I worked in physical therapy uh, for, for a long time, about 20 years. But concurrently with that, just tried to be faithful in my church. And God gave me opportunities to, to teach and to preach and to lead ministry. 
And in, in 2011, we, my wife and I, we had surrendered to be missionaries, and, and we were trusting God to just move us wherever it pleased Him and gave Him glory. And in 2011, you know, it's like what Jeff said in first hour, man, we, we, we devise our ways, but, but God has to direct our path. He has to, to lead us the way that, that gives Him maximum glory. And, and we desired to go to mission, the mission field, but yet in 2011, God opened the opportunity for us to take over a small church in Huntsville, Alabama. And so, uh, man, we, we prayed about that. We trusted our church leadership with that. Uh, they, they were, uh, you know, confirming uh, what God was showing me through the Word of God, and their leadership confirmed that calling. And in 2011, we were sent and commissioned by our home church uh, out as the, I became the pastor of Community Fellowship Baptist Church. And so, man, I, that's just a little bit about me. I just want you to know I'm just a normal guy. Uh, I'm just a weird guy, but I'm a normal guy. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm just a testimony of God's grace. And I know many of you have that same testimony, that, that you just believe God enough to use you and to follow Him. And then God got the glory out of your life. And I would have never imagined standing in New Philadelphia, Ohio, taking the Word of God and, and teaching and preaching it to a group of people that love God and love His work. But man, here we are. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for humble beginnings my sister is here. If you don't know, Sean, uh, Sean Vance is my brother-in-law, and, and Jerry is my sister. And so, man, the fact that, that we're here, and man, we grew up in South Alabama, L.A., right next to a peanut field, and we had a railroad track right behind our house. And that's a good makings of a country song right there. But, <laughs> man, and, and to see what God has done in our family, uh, only He gets the glory for that. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for that. And so, this morning, I would ask you to turn to John chapter 4. As we begin this REACH conference, we're going to be studying John chapter 4. This is our, our main text really for the entire week. And, and as we get into this passage uh, this week, many of you probably already know, hey, I'm familiar with this passage. This is the passage of the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. And, and we're going to highlight her for sure. We're going to talk about some things about her life. But this morning, we want to spend time in verses 27 to 34. And so John chapter 4, 27 to 34. Let me read the text. I'll pray for us, and then we'll get going this morning. Thank you again for the privilege of being here. The Bible says in verse 27, Upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Remember, the, the first 26 verses are, are Christ's conversation with the Samaritan woman. His disciples came upon this. They marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The, the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come and see a man which told me all things ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meantime, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore saith his disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? And Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Let's pray together. Father, we need you this morning. God, I need you this morning. Father, it is, it is a humbling thing uh, to be here in this place and to do this. And, and Lord, you know my heart. Father, whatever needs to happen so that your word and your son get maximum glory, Father, I pray that that happens. God, move me out of the way. And I pray that your Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and understanding this morning. And Father, for, for all of us, Lord, in this place, Lord, give us ears to hear what your Spirit has to say to our churches. Father, help us to, to be motivated this morning to be about the mission 
because that's the most important thing. God, will give you the glory for all that you're going to do, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning, the message is entitled, The Motivation for the Mission. The Motivation for the Mission. And, and you know, I know where we are, like on the calendar year, right? We're kind of March-ish, and, and that means that we're a month and a half, two months after uh, New Year's. And, and I don't know about you, but man, maybe some of us made some New Year's resolutions just a few months ago, and now... The motivation to continue whatever commitment we made has probably begun to waver, right? We, we, we maybe made a, a, a commitment, we made a, a promise that, man, we're going to eat right, we're going to do better, we're going to exercise, we're going we're gonna to do it for these reasons, maybe to be healthier. Maybe, because our doctor told us, like, if you don't do this, man, you're, you're in trouble, Right? There's a motivation maybe for health. Maybe, maybe we, we, we've made commitments for our own benefit because hopefully you'll live longer, like if you take care of your body. Maybe you do it for appearance. And I've, I've struggled with all of those things. And, and can I just humbly confess that I'm not holding to my New Year commitment to exercise more and to eat less donuts. And so, and so I own it because I don't have the proper motivation. And obviously, you, skinny's not healthy. Let me just say that out loud, okay? It's not, it, man... I'm a walking heart attack, probably. And so, and so, man, we struggle with motivation to do the things that we know to do. As we get to John chapter 4, we're going to be challenged this morning to be motivated for the mission. And I want to motivate us from the Word of God on why we need to be about missions. Why, why do we even have a REACH conference? Why do we talk about taking the gospel into, into places like Africa and Hungary? What is the motivation for that? As we land in John chapter 4, please understand that, that this story is sandwiched between the first and second miracles of Jesus Christ. And so the first miracle is John chapter 2, the, the water to wine. And then later in John chapter 4, the healing of the nobleman's son. And so this passage concerning the Samaritan woman is, is kind of sandwiched right between that. And it's also after John chapter 3. And in John chapter 3, the Bible tells us that Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea and they were baptizing people in repentance, right? It was for a, a national repentance for the nation of Israel. And the Bible tells us that in John chapter 4 verse 1, that his disciples, they baptized more people than John the Baptist's. And so Jesus' ministry, his message of the kingdom, his call to Israel to repent nationally was gaining traction. And the Pharisees, man, they got very upset with that. They became very critical of that. And so the Bible tells us in John chapter 4 and verse 3 that, that Christ left Judea, he departed into Galilee. And the Bible says in verse 4 that he must needs go through Samaria. And so historically, that's what's happening. Why did Christ have to go through Samaria? And, and again, as you study the Bible, Samaria is an interesting place in the Scripture. If you spend any time in the Old Testament, you know that the nation of Israel became divided after Solomon's reign. And it was divided into ten northern tribes and two southern tribes. And those ten northern tribes set up their capital in Samaria. And it was a, a hub of wickedness and idolatry. And listen, all the kings of Israel, those northern kings, uh, the, the, king, the kings over the northern kingdom of Israel, man, they were all wicked. Samaria was a wicked place, man, full of wicked men and idolatry and mingled seed and all those different things. Jerusalem was the capital of the southern part of the kingdom. And can I just tell you, 
that Christ's offer of the kingdom to restore the kingdom to Israel was a unified offer. He had to go through Samaria because Christ wanted both parts of that divided kingdom to believe His Word, to receive Him as King and as Messiah, not just Judah and Benjamin, not just the city of Jerusalem, but also the northern part of the kingdom. And and many of you have studied John chapter 4. When we read about this woman, she was familiar with some things from the Old Testament, right? She had a a form of religion. She she was connected uh, to the Old Testament prophets. She, She understood some things. Christ, doctrinally, we need to understand, was offering that that kingdom to all of Israel. He must needs go through Samaria. But devotionally for us this morning, God is showing us that this journey through Samaria is just one piece of a bigger pattern of missional ministry. As a matter of fact, if you were to track Christ's movement through the early part of the book of John, For instance, in John chapter 2, you find in verse 23 that Christ was at Jerusalem at the Passover. And then in John chapter 3 and verse 22, you find that Christ and his disciples came from Jerusalem to Judea. This is starting to sound familiar. And then in John chapter 4, it says he must needs go through Samaria. And then at the end of John chapter 4, we find him going into Galilee again. And in Matthew 4 and verse 15, Galilee is called Galilee of the the Gentiles. And so God's giving us a devotional microcosm of missional ministry in John chapter 4. He's he's showing us in in, in the gospel of John what he shows us again in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, right? Christ, after his resurrection, spent 40 days with his disciples. I know you're going through a series in Acts right now. It's amazing. And he says in verse 8, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so God's given us this microcosm of mission right in John John chapter 2, 3, and 4. So for us, man, we can see a snapshot of what missions really should look like. And And so as we begin this morning... I want to motivate you for the mission. And and the first point is this. In order for Christ to be motivated for the mission, Christ had to settle the issue of priority. He had to settle the issue of priority. And if you go back to John chapter 4 and verse 4, the Bible says, and he must. And that word must is a powerful word in the Bible. It's a word that means something is essential. It's obligated It's necessary for me when I wake up in the morning and before I begin my day, I must have coffee. Do you understand? Uh, Not maybe, not if we have some, like if we don't have some, that's a bad day. I'm going to find some. I must have coffee first thing in the morning. Jeff's an amazing host, by the way. And so this morning I come out, you know, I'm not a morning person. I don't think he is either. And so, you know, he's at the table working and I'm sitting on the couch reading and then he just... You hear the machine. Here you go, bro. Yes! <laughs> Whatever else happens today, it's going to be okay. <laughs> I must have coffee. Listen, Christ had a priority in going to Samaria. The Bible says that he must needs go through Samaria. It wasn't optional. 
It wasn't happenstance. It was strategic and purposeful and intentional. Again, we, we've, we've noted the historical context and the doctrinal context of why Samaria is important. Can I just tell you that Christ was motivated by must? And you see this in other parts of his life and ministry. As a matter of fact, concerning his, his death on the cross, Matthew 16 and verse 21, that, that same priority, not only that led Christ into Samaria, would later lead him to the cross of Calvary. Matthew 16 and verse 21, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. That was a must. It wasn't a maybe. It was an optional. It was absolutely essential. And listen, every, every sinner that's saved in this room ought to be thankful for that. You ought to be thankful that, that Christ was a man of priority and that he must do some things. Because, man, listen, if he, if he didn't go to the cross of Calvary, and if he didn't resurrect, we have no hope. And our preaching and our teaching and all these things that we're talking about is all in vain without Christ's finished work. Mark chapter 8 and verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. John chapter 3 and verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And again, I am thankful that Christ's motivation concerning our redemption was based on a must. It wasn't based on a maybe. It wasn't based on a might. I might do that if I feel like it. No, it was based on a must. And can I just tell you concerning missions, our motivation has to be settled. The, pri the issue of priority has to be settled. We have to decide now. This is something we must do. It's not something that we might do or we're not going to do. This is something we must do or it won't get done. It's just not going to get done. And so consider this, and this is in your notes. Listen, for many Christians, for many Christians, not in this room, just the ones in Huntsville, okay, but, but listen, for many Christians, must go has been replaced with might go or won't go concerning the mission. How about you? Listen, listen, concerning the things that we're talking about this week, concerning the, the things that your church talks about on a continual basis, is there a priority to say, I must do these things? Because this is what God has called us to do. You see, instead of I must go, it's turned into my, I might go. I might go, maybe. For some of us, it's turned into I won't go because there's other things I have to focus on. For some of us, it's, it's I'll go if I feel like it. If I have time, if I'm having a good day, if I got coffee this morning, yeah, I'll go to church if I got, you know, okay. Listen, if we're not careful as Christians concerning the mission, our must will be replaced with maybe or might. And if that happens, we haven't settled the issue of priority. And truthfully, we really won't go. We won't. And so for Christ going into Samaria, listen, this is in your notes. For Christ going into Samaria, it was necessary that he go into Samaria. I must needs go to Samaria. Why? Because it was necessary to fulfill prophecy. He's going to restore the entire kingdom, all the tribes. But for you and I, going is necessary to fulfill our purpose. It's necessary to fulfill our purpose. I want to have you look at Matthew chapter 21 
in verse 28. This is a passage that many times God just brings me back to personally. Matthew 21, verse 28, it says, But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first, and he said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented, and he went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. Because, you know, you, you respect your elders and all those things, right? And he went not. And then Jesus asked the question, Whither of the two, whither of the twain did the will of his father? And they said unto him, The first. And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. You see, we have to decide that we're just going to go. Because our Father has commanded and commissioned and sent us just like Christ's Father had commanded and commissioned and sent Him. It's the same thing, and we have to settle the issue of priority first. And so the question in your notes is this, is the mission going to become a must in my life, or will it continue to be a maybe? And listen, I, I don't know many of you in this room. I'm thankful for the privilege to be here. I don't, I don't know many of you at all, and I hope to get to know some of you this week. But I do know people. And I, and I think God gave me 20 years in the field of physical therapy, interacting with people. God used that to, to prepare me for what I'm doing now. And God gave me ministry opportunities in that. Listen, I know people, and I know that not every church has 100% participation and what, and what God's trying to do through their church. And can I just tell you that many times the things that we blame it on, listen, you got great pastors, and, and they told me to tell you that. No, I'm just kidding. They, <laughs> they didn't tell me to tell you that. You do have great pastors. You've had great pastors at the church. You have a great philosophy of ministry. You have great preaching on a weekly basis. Listen, the issue is not any of those things of why the mission doesn't get accomplished. Well, if we had better preachers, and we, we had a better philosophy of ministry, and we had a, a better, better pastors and, and leadership. No, listen, the issue is never those things. The issue is priority. And you and I have to settle the issue of priority in our life. What else are you going to do with your life, Christian? What else are you going to do? Are you going to serve yourself or serve the Lord? And so Christ settled the issue of priority i got to go through Samaria. There's, there's, no, there's no maybe. It's settled. It's essential. I'm obligated to it to fulfill prophecy. Folks, listen, you and I are obligated to it to fulfill our purpose as sons of God in this place. And so Christ settled that issue in his life. Number two, Christ settled the issue of his provision. Now, now, what's interesting in this passage, and again, we, we don't have time this morning for all of it because we're going to be in this passage all week long, but what's interesting in this passage is that there are two different groups of people with two different apparent needs. So, so when you get early in the chapter, for instance, in John chapter 4 and verse 8, on the one hand, you have the disciples of Christ, they went into the city to buy meat. And all the men in the room said, yeah, that's a, that's a good call, man. Get some steak, get some bacon. Okay, they weren't getting bacon, I know that. But <laughs> they just didn't know what they were going to have available. <laughs> so, so, so listen, they go to get meat. And so there's a physical need in their life, right? And, and then the other, on the other hand, you have the Samaritan woman. And again, man, for time's sake, we're going to be in this all week long. But many of you know the story. Listen, this woman comes to Jacob's well. 
And she comes in the middle of the day at the sixth hour, not the time to gather water. And, and she comes searching for water because she had a thirst. And so what's interesting in this passage is that you have two groups of people that are pursuing provision. The disciples are pursuing meat. The Samaritan woman is pursuing water to, to quench her thirst. And listen, as you track through the Bible, isn't that kind of Israel's thing all the way through the Bible, by the way? I mean, if you've read the Old Testament, I mean, even after Israel came out of Egypt, the two things that they murmured against their leaders about was always something to drink and something to eat. Exodus chapter 15, verse 22, Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. They went out into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness and they found no water. And because they didn't find water, they began murmuring against their leaders. They began murmuring against God. Exodus 16 and verse 3, it says, The children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we have died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and we did eat bread to the full. You brought us forth into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And man, Israel's whole story is, we need something to drink, we need something to eat. That, that's been the focus and the priority of their Old Testament story. It's been the focus and priority of their New Testament story. It's the physical things first, right? Kingdom of, of heaven versus the kingdom of God. And yet, when we get to John chapter 4 and verse 31, the disciples come back from getting meat. And I want you to look at this in verse 31. In the meantime, his disciples prayed him saying, Master, eat. They, they'd come back from the city. They, they missed the entire conversation with the Samaritan woman. And they brought their meat back and they said, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore saith the disciples one to another, Have any man brought him to eat? Did, did somebody bring him something to eat? And, and they're, in their mind, they're just focused on the physical. And Christ said, listen, my provision is greater than that. My, my provision, the, the fuel that's driving me, the meat that drives me and fuels me, is not physical meat and physical drink. It's to do the will of my Father. And, and some of you may be sitting here this morning and say, Jay, get to the point and get done so we can go eat. And I get it, man. Listen, uh, okay, yeah, I, I know meat and drink are waiting for all of us. And, and that's, that's a legitimate need, right? We all have that need. We, we all have that. But can I just tell you, if we're not careful and we don't see our life through the lens of a biblical worldview, that will become our focus. And, and so listen, there's this thing called Maslow's hierarchy of need. And, and, and you know, this is a psychological pyramid. And I didn't put it on the screen, but, but many of you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's this pyramid of need. And, and it begins at the bottom, this, this psychological perspective of our life says the first thing that has to be met in our, our life is physiological needs, right? Air, that one's important. Okay, I'll, I'll grant. That, that one's kind of important. Water, food, shelter, sleep, clothing. Okay, and, and, and Maslow says you have to meet those baseline needs first before you can move to the next level. And so physiological needs are first. Safety needs are second. Love and belonging are third. Esteem is, is fourth. And then as you climb that ladder of, of, of need, you finally become self-aware of who you are and the things that you can do. Well, can I just tell you that God actually flips the script on Maslow's hierarchy of need. 
Because Christ says, listen, you need to emphasize the mission first. You have to, min- you have to emphasize the mission first. And, and Christ himself says, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. And, and, and listen, I know we don't, you know, looking around the room, I don't want to assume that anyone believes truly in, in Maslow's hierarchy of need. But if we're not careful and we don't have a biblical worldview of our life and our call to the mission, we'll see it through that lens. We'll say, I can't do what God's called me to do until all these other things in my life are met. Until, until I have the sustenance I need and, and the job I need and then the, the wife I need and the family I need and then the home I need and the car I need and, and the degree and all the different things, the status, and then, well, then I can do something for God. Now listen, man, God wants you to flip the script. He wants you to flip that thing upside down. Christ says, my meat is to do the will of Him that sent me. It's His sustenance. It's His provision. It's the thing that drove Him. It's the thing that gave Him the fuel. And, and, and what's interesting, can I just tell you, if you, missed, if you missed Bible study hour, by the way, you missed it this morning. Listen, Chris Weaver did an amazing job talking about how God is moving in Malawi. And, and listen, Chris is, is instrumental, uh, certainly on the spiritual side of things. He's instrumental on the physical side with the farm and, and all the things that God's doing. But can I tell you where it all started? It all started with a church that was planted, a mission that was accomplished, and then God, through the mission, provided the meat that was necessary to to meet the physical needs. It was the ministry first and the meat second. And, And listen, we struggle with that in our life. We struggle with that to surrender to God and to focus on the mission first. But listen, that is the provision for our life. Matthew 6 and verse 25 Christ says, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life or what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what, shall, what you shall put on. Is not life more than meat and the body than raiment? Listen, we, again, Sermon on the Mount, Kingdom of Heaven context, the Jews had that problem. The truth is Gentiles do too. Matthew 6 and verse 31, take no thought therefore saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. And man, as I look around the room, man, we're just hopefully a bunch of saved Gentiles. But man, we struggle because we seek after the, the physical things in life first. And God's telling us to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Romans 14 and verse 17 says, The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not physical but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And, and so listen, Christ's fuel, Christ's provision was the ministry. It was the mission. And that's what, that's what gave him the provision to do what he did. Man, the woman at the well was the object of the mission. And you know what? Those disciples, because they were pursuing meat instead of the mission, they missed out. They missed the entire conversation that Christ had with that Samaritan woman. The whole conversation about the living water and and the mountain of worship and all of that, they missed every bit of it. Why? Because they were more concerned with meat. They were more concerned with meat. And as I study this thing through the Bible, it's very interesting. This thing of meat keeps showing up, right? If you go all the way back to Genesis and and you study, again, meat first mentioned in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 29... This is the first mention of meat. God said, Behold, I've given you every herb-bearing seed 
which is upon the face of all the earth, every tree which is the, uh, the fruit of the uh, tree yielding seed, for you it shall be for meat, provision, sustenance. Listen, God promised Adam, here is your meat. But the problem that we forget is that he gave the mission in the preceding verse. The, the mission came in verse 28. And you know, I'm a simple guy, but 28 comes before 29. And so you too can be a preacher, right? Okay, so, so, so look at verse 28. It says, God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And listen, for Adam, Adam was given a mission and then he was given meat for the mission. And that's the way God works. That's absolutely the way God works. The mission has to be primary. It can't be secondary. It can't come third. It has to be the priority. And through the mission, God gives us the provision that we need. And, and again, man, listen, I'm, I'm just like you. I, I balance a bank account and I have car payments and, and, and all those different things, man. I, I have to buy groceries and coffee. And, and listen, amen, right? I mean, I, I must. I don't know if you heard it earlier. <laughs> it's, it's good for everybody. <laughs> I mean, I'm a bear in the morning, but without coffee, it's, it's violent. It's bad. Okay, so it's not violent. Please erase that. Okay, so listen, Here's what I know. I'm guilty. You're guilty. We're all guilty of, of making those things a priority in our life. Man, I'll serve God when my bank account's this much and I have this much savings or I have this status in a job or, or I have this much vacation. Listen, you have to prioritize the mission now. It has to be the priority. And through the mission, God gives you the provision that you need to accomplish the mission. No more, no less. He gives you exactly what you need. You know what's interesting is you track that thing through the Bible. Noah was also given a mission. You know the story. It's kind of the, 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 the second part of that commission after the flood. And, and, and Noah was given a mission, but then he was given meat to fulfill that mission. God, God judged the earth and, and he sent the flood and all those different things. And, and God confirmed the mission in a man's life named Noah. Look at Genesis 9 and verse 1. It says, God blessed Noah and his sons. And he said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. We've already read that, right? Same, same mission that God gave Adam. And the fear of you shall, and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the field and upon every fowl of the air and upon all the moving things upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. And to your hands they're delivered. Every moving thing that liveth, listen, shall be meat for you. Even as the green herb have I given you all things. He gave the mission first. And with the mission, the guarantee of provision. Make the mission the priority. And listen, Christ settled the issue. He settled the issue of priority. I must do this. And he settled the issue of where his provision came from. It came from God. And if you'll do what God has called you to do, listen, you don't have to worry about these other things. The problem in our lives many times as Christians is we tend to seek the meat first. And then the mission becomes the afterthought. And, you know, most of us probably haven't missed a meal this week, right? But we might have missed the mission. And, and, and when we get the priority backwards in our life, we miss the very purpose that God has saved us for. 
The disciples, man, they missed out on the mission of the woman at the well because they were more concerned with meat than the mission. And what's interesting as we read through this story, and again, we'll see it the rest of the week, man, this conversation with the Samaritan woman transformed her life. And, and, and I don't want to get too far into this because this is really tomorrow's message. But in John chapter 4 and verse 28, remember, she came to that well to get water. And then she met Christ, who offered her living water. And, and in John chapter 4 and verse 28, it says, The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith unto the men, Come and see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is this not the Christ? And so here's the point. The mission now for this Samaritan woman becomes her provision. Because, man, she walked away from that water pot. And she went back into the city. And she became a part of the mission. And God was able to provide everything that she needed because she settled the issue in her heart. All of a sudden in her life, food and water became secondary to the provision of the mission. She was walking away of, she was walking away of, of one thing so that she could go do the, the most important thing. And man, God, God is able to do that in our life if we'll just focus on the mission. Again, man, this morning, it, 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 Chris did an awesome job. When you focus on the mission, God provides the meat. He provides the provision. Again, man, God is a good God. He's faithful, but we have to get our priorities straight. Number three, let's get done so we can get out of here. Number three, man, Jesus settled the issue of his purpose. Look at verse 34 and we'll be done. Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. In other words, my, my meat is to do what God sent me to do. It is the mission. But I also want... Every one of, of you guys listening, these disciples that are hearing him, I want you to understand that it's not just doing it, but it's actually finishing the work that God sent him to do. I mean, listen, Christ, Christ exemplifies for us submissiveness and selflessness to his heavenly Father. It's the right relationship between a son to the Father. And man, without, again, for time's sake, we know that Christ's mission, number one, was the restoration of Israel. That's going to be fulfilled at the end of the tribulation period. Number two, his, his work of making disciples was part of the work that he finished. And I know you know this passage in John chapter 17. Man, when, when, when Christ is praying... And he's praying to his father. He confirms that he has finished the work. Verse 4, I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And that work wasn't the work of the cross because he's not on the cross yet. It's not the work of redemption. But it is the work of making disciples. And Christ came and he did the work and he finished the work. He finished it. He says in verse 6, I've manifested thy name in verse 8, he says, I've given unto them the words which thou gavest me. He finished the work. He finished the work of making disciples. And by the way, that's a work that, that can begin and finish. There's not some perpetual... Okay, never mind. All right, let's go. I feel like I'm at home for a second. I'm about to get in trouble. All right. He also finished the work of redemption. And we, and we know that, right? We know that he finished the work of redemption on the cross of Calvary. Christ says in John 19 and verse 30, it is finished. And he fulfilled all the prophecy concerning his death. And, and listen, he says it's finished. He bowed his head. He gave up the ghost. He finished the work. And, 
And can I just tell you, man, listen, I'm guilty of this. You're guilty of this. We're all guilty. We're all guilty of starting and not finishing. Again, my New Year's resolution, I'm going to exercise a little more. I'm going to eat a little better. I'm going to try to do some things. Yeah, I started that about two weeks into that. It was like, eh, give me the donuts. (laughs) Where are the donuts, man, with the coffee? God is a God that begins and finishes. And listen, we need to learn from that example. We need to be thankful for that. Christ finished the work of making disciples. He finished the work of redemption on the cross. And all through Scripture, and you got these, we'll go quick, man. God always begins and God always finishes His work, right? Genesis chapter 2 and verse 1, God and the recreation in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 1, it says the heavens and the earth were finished. I mean, He began and He finished. Moses and the tabernacle. Man, Exodus 40 and verse 33, he reared up the court round about the tabernacle and the altar and he set up the hanging of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. Had a logical beginning and a very evident ending. It started and it finished. Moses and the law, when God gave the law, man, again, he, he finished it. Verse 24, Deuteronomy 31, verse 24, it came to pass when Moses had made an end of writing the words of this law in a book until they were finished. Solomon finished the temple, 1 Kings 6 and verse 14. So Solomon built the house and finished it. I read those verses and I think about all the home projects that I've started and not finished. And then my wife watching this is like amening right now. She's like, you're right, bro. I'm going to hold you to it when you get home. Paul and his ministry. And and man, we, we even see it in Paul's life, right? Man, God gave a unique ministry to Paul. He gave him a course to follow. He laid that thing out in Acts chapter 9. He talked about how he's going to be a witness and suffer before, before the nation of Israel and kings and the Gentiles and that threefold purpose that, that Paul had or the, the threefold people group that he's going to be a witness before. And, and even in Acts 20, as you read through Acts, Paul is praying that he will finish his course. It's not done yet, but he's praying in Acts chapter 20 and verse 24. He says, none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And, and by the way, if you land in 2 Timothy, he has this testimony at the end of his life. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. Now Christ was focused on finishing the will of his Father, not feeding his fleshly desires. I must needs go through Samaria. It's a priority. My meat is to do the will of my Father. It was His provision. And listen, i got to finish His work. That was His purpose. That was His purpose. I just want to encourage every one of you today, listen, let's settle the issue of a priority in our life. Let's, Let's understand that the provision of God only comes after we commit to the mission of God. And man, that is the purpose of your life. Anything else, anything else, well, it's just going to fall short of what God has for you. It truly will. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you this morning. God, I pray that, that your word has, has had free course in our hearts and lives. And God, just, just in spite of a bumbling pastor and preacher, God, would you, would you take your word and your Holy Spirit? And man, as we examine our life through the lens of Scripture, do we have the right motivation? Man, is missions for us a maybe Man, for some of us, it may be a hard no. God, for all of us, let us yield ourselves so that it may be a must.
And God, as we focus on you, as we focus on your mission, we're going to trust you for the provision. God, the very mission is the provision. God, be glorified in our life. Help us to find purpose to finish what you've called us to do. We ask all these things in Christ Jesus' name.